the book of the prophet Isaiah is an interesting book, and in this podcast, I'm going to try to do the whole book of Isaiah uh, in one podcast, and I'm going to make it so if you um, skip through it, it will probably be just fine because um, I'm going to try to do a bunch of one-liners. It's a really long book. There's 66 chapters, and uh, Isaiah the prophet, he's still in heaven, and he still prophesies this entire prophecy, and... um, the book of Isaiah is a very poetic book. And so when we read any verse, it's really helpful if we read the previous verses in that chapter and also the verses after and then read that verse again in order to get the context. And there's also a few other things that sound bizarre, but it's actually um, secret knowledge that's required. And the reason I say it's secret isn't because it's been concealed more than a lot of it just didn't happen until um, a certain time. I'll explain it all as I go through uh, in one-liners. So it didn't happen for a while, and then no one told anyone what happened. So this will all make sense. Now, in the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 1, it reads, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. That's in chapter 1. And so the first thing we find out in the in the um, book of Isaiah is, first, there's a vision. It might be that this whole book is a vision, and also that um, this chapter is a vision. Uh Isaiah said, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw. Then he says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. So right away we find out that this is for the heavens and for the earth. Now, to make it really clear, um, there are three places that we need to talk about, or four. The first is the earth. So the prophet Isaiah, he spoke in Israel, but he didn't speak to the whole earth. So the prophecy of Isaiah is something for the whole earth and that means it's for the future um, and he'll prophesy to the whole earth again next um, he says here O heavens now heaven the heaven is a place where spirits go when we die our spirit goes to the heaven but the heavens are a place where the angels go so this is going to sound weird but this is one way to think about it angels can travel from one end of the universe to the other end in about six seconds so if you all the galaxies they're kind of like in a similar like plane so if you go higher you're above them if you go lower you're underneath them but if an angel goes from one world straight across the universe he might just collide with a fucking planet when he does this so that would be bad so what the angels do is they go into the heavens it's like crossing over into another dimension kind of like what they talked about on Star Trek or Babylon 5 and they travel all the way across the heavens it takes about um, 6 seconds and so the heavens is like this other dimension so when Isaiah says here O heavens This includes the heavens where the angels travel. And so at any time, there might be a hundred billion angels in the heavens traveling. There's a lot of angels because there's a lot of worlds and there's a lot to do. So this is for the angels, but also for spirits because sometimes there's spirits in the heavens. Angels take them uh, places. God takes the spirits places, sometimes like a field trip. It's not dangerous. It's not punishment. It's just a field trip. And then um, also there's the heaven. And so maybe that's included. So this is for everyone, everywhere. And the fourth place would be other worlds. So the earth, the heavens, and uh, heaven, and other worlds. So heavens is like just a place where angels travel. Think of it like an angel freeway in um, in the universe. Uh, that would be the heavens. So he says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. Well, the only ones in the heavens are like angels and um, also maybe spirits and stuff like that. The sons of God, they're called, and we're in the earth, so we're called this. We're called son of man. That's what angels call us. So right away in um, chapter one, we have rebuke for everyone, everywhere. 
So when we, when we read chapter one, it's just rebuke. And so when um, these uh, when somebody needs to be rebuked in the modern times, if they've been overexposed to Lucifer, then this is for them. Now the earth, we've been overly exposed to Lucifer, the devil, and the angels. Um, Lucifer's been in heaven accusing uh, the brethren day and night, as it is written. But he's, he's been accusing angels and spirits. So this is for all of them because they've been overly exposed to Lucifer and Lucifer's telling them to be rebellious. So chapter one is rebuke. Chapter two is uh, the word that Isaiah saw. So now this is another thing that we might say is a vision, something that he saw. And right away in verses um, four and five, now we have a, uh, a, like a triple prophecy. Um, it's a promise of everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven on earth. So when you read Revelation 21, where there's New Jerusalem, it's a big city where God will be. He'll live in the earth and the glory of God will lighten the whole city. It'll be like there's light. Uh, his glory looks like light. <coughs> God will be there. And um, so now we can hear this verse. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. So in New Jerusalem, when it's a new earth, we can walk in the light of the Lord. So that's a promise. And then also God will do this in Israel soon. And then he'll do it again later before a new earth. And also, you know, so it's a promise of the future, walking in the light of the Lord. When we get to chapter three, uh, God talks about stuff he's going to do. He starts really getting into stuff he'll do. So chapter two, he starts really going through stuff he'll do. He goes all the way to a new heaven and a new earth in verse five. And then he starts to roll it back in time. So he talks about the past, the present, and the future for the rest of chapter two. But in chapter three, um, he talks about what will happen. Uh, they'll be poor in Israel for a while. So when the Israel um, men and women go, go to Israel, when God sends his children to Israel, after he raises the whole house of Israel from the dead, according to um, Ezekiel 37, when they're in Israel, they'll be poor. And uh, not only that, uh, the women are going to be haughty or something like that. So um, that'll be a problem. But here in chapter 3, now they're looking for someone to rule over them. They're realizing they can't rule themselves and they want someone to do it, but they don't want God to do it. So um, that's chapter three. They don't want God to do it. They want a man to do it. And in that day, that's now we're in chapter four, the women will be haughty and then they're going to lose their beauty or something like that. Okay. Now we're in chapter five. Now chapter five is something that is not well understood, but we do know something. The vineyard is God's. And um, so when we think of the vine, the grapes and all that kind of stuff, we can just think of the people. And so when we think about this um, song in chapter five, um, the grapes are the people. They're wild grapes instead of um, domesticated grapes. So God wants his children to like pay attention to his words or something like that. And uh, some men and women, they want to pay attention to Lucifer's words. Lucifer wants us to pay attention to his words. So it's kind of a battle over the vineyard. Lucifer versus God and God's children, you know, we're kind of like right in the middle, I guess. So when we go through chapter five, it's kind of the um, battle of the, the two sides. When we get to verse 20, and it says, woe, those that like Lucifer, they, when they see something good, they call it evil. And when they see something evil, they call it good. So um, that's what we're reading in chapter five. It's kind of this battle between Lucifer and God. When we get to chapter six, there's a bunch of stuff here about the temple. Now, this is important because um, 
the, the temple will be in Israel soon. Um, but not as soon as we'd like. I'm thinking it will be uh, built in less than eight years. It will take seven years to build it. But that's not as soon as we'd like. A bunch of other really bad things will happen first, unfortunately. There will be a flood and also some other things. Now, in chapter 7, the flood according to Revelation chapter 12. The war in heaven happened this year. And no one in the earth would know uh, unless I told you. In chapter 7, again, we're talking about some things that are really, really um, important to those that have heard um, the word of God. Now, a lot of you are going to have some conflict with this because the Christians think chapter 7 is only about Jesus. And the reason they believe this is they really only read verse uh, 14 and they skip the rest. Now, in verse 15, this child learns to refuse evil and he learns to choose good. And so they say, well, Jesus already knew that. So we're like, okay, why are you saying it's Jesus? So this is a miracle that happened before a virgin um, conceived and bare a son and called his name Emmanuel. This already happened once in the past before Jesus. And if you're a Christian, if you want to say this with Jesus as well, it might be. Um, But it says here that this child had to learn good and evil. So uh, maybe it was Jesus as well. So it's, it's also something that will happen in the future as well. And why? This is a sign. Maybe we could say it's a sign that God will provide butter and honey and eventually all of his children can learn good and evil. And maybe that's great. Now, when we go through um, the rest of uh, Isaiah, it's, it's like this. We're going to keep just rolling through it. In chapter 8, um, what we're talking about here is that the, the people, God's people, there's a lot of them. And so in Israel, what they like to do is take counsel with each other. And they like to take counsel with the devil, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. Believe it or not, I've been in heaven for thousands of years, and they'll be in the earth uh, in the upcoming decades. Um, And um, so what they do is they all take counsel together. The men and women that lived in Israel, they're spirits now because they died, so they're a spirit in heaven. They take counsel with the devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet, a man named John Huxton, and a woman named Eve. And um, they take uh, counsel together. And they call themselves a confederacy. And so they're like in heaven rebelling against the Lord, which is a very pathetic rebellion if you think about it. They're just spirits sitting the ra- sitting around in heaven or standing around in heaven. And they're like, we have rebelled. And like, if you ask them, like, what did you do? They're like, oh, well, we talked about rebelling. Well, what was the rebellion? We talked. Like, they don't really do anything. It's a pathetic rebellion. Um, they actually rely on God for everything. Uh, and he provides everything for them. Their life is perfect and easy. Now, in chapter 9, this is the famous Messiah passage. But again, this might not be for the Messiah. If you think about it, we go through these next chapters. What you're going to see in every chapter in Isaiah is this theme. Who will do it? So in chapter 1, the problem is they need to be rebuked. Who will tell God's children the rebuke? We need angels to tell the rebuke to angels and men to tell the rebuke to, uh, you know, other men to tell the rebuke to what we call sons of man. That's us in the earth. And spirits in heaven. So in chapter 2, God wants men, uh, a man to read this to someone. So in every one of these chapters, God wants us to um, to read to them. Now in chapter 5, he's looking for a man who will explain chapter 5. But no one ever figures it out and no one ever does it. So that's the um, song about the vineyard. In chapter 6... Um, He says, make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes. 
So what he's saying here is that um, they're going to be blind to what's happening around them until after it happens. Then they'll say, oh, fuck. Then we're in uh, chapter 7, and now we've got um, a man named Emmanuel. So maybe what we need here is someone who teaches God's children good and evil. And that's easy to learn and easy to teach. In chapter 8... We have someone um, here, and we need to put an end to this dumb confederacy that the uh, children of Israel always try to make. They've been trying to do this for quite a while. So this is something that can only be done in heaven predominantly, but it might be in the earth someday. And anytime somebody does this, we can put an end to it. What will happen if it's not put to an end? This is verse 15. They'll stumble and fall and be broken and snared and taken. Now that's a theme that's going to happen over and over again in the book of Isaiah, according to prophecy, because nobody does these things. So when we finally get to chapter 9, now we start to see this famous Messiah passage. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So we stop right there, and we realize that Jesus doesn't have a government on his shoulder. He's not a diplomat. He's not a governor. He's not a, um, he's not a president of the United States. He's someplace else. And so a lot of Christians want to say he spiritually governs, but that's not true at all. That's a deception from John Huxton. Who deceives pastors and Christians into believing that? Because John Huxton wants to pretend to be Jesus Christ. So when we get through this, we're like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would somebody be called the mighty God? There's only one God. Well, the answer is, um, who would be called the everlasting father, the Prince of Peace? Probably if people were confused about who God is. All right, but who, who could this be? Probably the Messiah. Someone who would order and establish God's kingdom. So if you want to be like the Messiah, you can look at verse 7 and see what he does. He orders and establishes God's kingdom. And so God's always looking for someone to do this stuff. Let's keep it going. Now, when we get to chapter 10, we're still looking at the devil-God conversation. So those that like the devil, they decree unrighteous decrees. And so um, when we go through this, there's another thing for a man to do. He's going to send an Assyrian, and later the Assyrian's going to die. So God chose a man, some man that's an Assyrian. This happened in the past, and it will happen again, apparently. When we get to chapter 11, this is another famous passage. And some say this is Jesus. But again, that's just Christians that want everyone to be Jesus. This is a man who doesn't have understanding until God gives it to him. So a time will come where there, um, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, a branch typically refers to a man. And so out of his roots, this means a descendant, probably. Now, what else is the rod out of the stem of Jesse? Well, it's a stem, maybe, if the tree's cut down and all that's, and then it tries to grow again. And then a rod would, would come out. That would be absurd. A rod would be big and strong and heavy, and the stem would bend. It's a, sm a stem is like a small tree trying to grow, and it's like a baby tree. And so this might be the whole rod, like a similar to the rod of iron passage, someone that might govern and rule. So what will he do? With righteousness, he will judge the poor. So how will he do it? When we think of judgment, we think of the wrong thing. It's not condemning the poor. It's making sure that there's fairness for the poor and that kind of stuff. So when we go through this, we're looking for someone who will do these things in chapter 11. Someone who will judge the poor fairly. In chapter 12, we're talking about someone who might praise the Lord. So we're looking for someone who will do that. In chapter 13, we get to Babylon. And this gets to be kind of funny because now God's mocking the devil. Or we just might say making fun of the devil. 
Babylon's going to be rebuilt partly concurrently with um, Israel being rebuilt. But the devil's really slow to do anything. He's kind of extremely incompetent. So it might take a long time before construction of Babylon really begins. It'll probably be just south um, west of Israel in Egypt after Israel's going a little bit. So Babylon will be there. Lucifer wants to call it a different name. He's been telling me different names. He's been thinking about calling it New Brunswick, for instance. <laughs> he thinks that's a very um, rich sounding name. <coughs> so um, God talks about what will happen to Babylon in chapter 13. And so here, it, this is another verse, uh, excuse me, chapter that someone can read. Uh, to God's children because it's important that they know about Babylon. A lot of men and women might think Babylon will succeed because they might see it coming. They're like, oh, that, that place might succeed at stuff. What's to get Babylon going to do? It's an alternative to Israel. It's an alternative to Israel. And, and more specifically, it's an alternative to the temple of God. Lucifer hopes that men and women will leave the temple of God and go to Babylon to get money or something. Now in chapter 14, uh, again, God's making fun of the devil. And, um, One day I'll do an exposition on just some of the funniest Bible stories. Chapter 14 is probably the funniest Bible story uh, in the whole Bible. And what he's doing is he's mocking the devil. So chapter 14 is about Lucifer. It's the only time the word Lucifer is in the Bible. Now there's other mentions of the devil, Satan, other names of the devil, such as Belial, the dragon, the serpent, that kind of stuff. But this is the only mention of his name, Lucifer. So... Um, it's kind of making fun of the devil. So one way to read this is to laugh at the devil. Uh, and this is important because anyone who trusts in the devil, if they understand chapter 14, they might no longer trust in the devil because the devil's retarded. And uh, I don't mean it in like mentally handicapped only because Lucifer has smashed his head into things a few times on purpose. And I think he's brain damaged himself so that his um, mirror neurons don't work. So he doesn't know what people are feeling. So Lucifer's really weird. But I don't mean like to mock and mislead retarded people. What I mean is Lucifer chooses to not be high functioning. He chooses to be low functioning. He thinks higher is lower and lower is higher. And one day I'll talk about that. It's embarrassing. In chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, you can read about this. Lucifer thinks that um, on the ground is high. If he's on his belly, he thinks that's high. And the other angels laugh at him a lot about that. Um, chapter 16... Uh, God says, send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land, uh, from Selah to the wilderness. Um, and there's a full description. So the lamb, someone's supposed to send the lamb to do this. Um, probably because no one else will do it. What are they supposed to do? Take counsel, execute judgment. So in time, I might do an exposition on this stuff, but I'll probably end up having to do it in Israel just because it takes so long. Um, so in the future, my podcast will just have to be found through a search. It's like the only way. In chapter 17, now we have the burden of Damascus. So what's going on? We just heard about Babylon and the devil. Why is it, um, why does God start listing all these lands, all these cities? There's a city called Tyr, a place called Tartan, another land area beyond Ethiopia. Why, why are the, why is God writing about this? Well, part of it is that Lucifer promised he would do things in those lands to defeat Israel. And so a lot of the allies of Lucifer, they actually um, believe that Lucifer will succeed. So when someone just reads to them chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, the other um, allies of Lucifer, they're like, oh, Lucifer's going to lose? Yes, he is. And so God says what will happen. So I'm just going to kind of um, go through these kind of fast. In Damascus, they'll think of God. In um, chapter 18, God talks about things that are um, important to them. 
um, the allies of Lucifer. And so it's the opposite of what um, the allies of Lucifer think. So just think about what Lucifer promises. Death, destruction, rape, murder, human sacrifice, butt-fucking men. There's all kinds of strange things. Child sacrifice, human trafficking. That's what Lucifer likes. And so God says the opposite will happen. So that's chapter 18, chapter 19. Um, now part of this is here, it says the river shall be wasted and dried up. And so this might be part of how um, God will gather his people. He's going to dry up waters so they can just walk right to Israel. And there's nothing in the way, no rivers, nothing like that. But then he's going to make other places where there's clean water to drink. And so that's part of God gathering his people. And that's a theme all the way throughout the book of um, Isaiah. And also in the book of Ezekiel, God will gather his people as he prophesied long ago, and they'll be in Israel. Now, this is where it gets interesting. In chapter 19, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. So before Lucifer starts to have any success with Babylon, he's not going to have any success, but it might look like he's going to. Before Lucifer starts to really get things going, there's going to be an altar and um, they're going to know about God. It says the Lord shall be known to Egypt. And so they'll do sacrifice and oblation and they'll, they'll vow a vow. Eventually, they're going to turn away from this. And then... Um, but before this happens, before they turn away, God's going to say something really interesting. God will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. That means they're going to hear it. God will speak, and they will hear the voice of God. Probably speaking out of heaven. He probably won't stand in um, Egypt where they can see him, but he'll probably speak where they can hear it, and he'll bless them. Then later, they'll turn away from him. But those that, that don't turn away, maybe they can come to Israel, the opposite of what Lucifer wants. Now, in chapter 20... We talk about um, Isaiah, how he walked naked and barefoot. Now, what that means is, in these places, they got a warning from Isaiah that um, even though in Egypt they have lots of secrets and they try to cover up their secrets so no one can see them, God sees their secrets and it is shameful to God. So, is um, so Egypt has shameful secrets. And so does Israel. They both do. Israel has shameful secrets, and God sees them both. Now, in the chapter 21, we start talking about... Later, we'll talk about what God will do about their shame. God will do a lot of stuff about it. And it's not all bad. It's, God would probably say it's all good. Now, here in chapter 21, we start hearing about Babylon being fallen, and all the graven images of Babylon's gods being broken to the ground. So now we, we can understand something really important. When God talks about threshing of corn, he might be talking symbolically as a representation of breaking the graven images on the ground. God might stamp them into the ground, personally. Now in chapter 22, there's a place called the Valley of Vision. And this is um, plans for the future that Lucifer has. And God's going to make sure that the opposite happens, the opposite of what Lucifer wants. So God's going to do something that God would say is good. Now, David will be king again. So there will be the house of David, because um, the house of David is going to be raised from the dead, according to Ezekiel 37. It's called the famous dry bones passage. So if you ever read it, here's the whole story. God gathered up their bones and hid their bones from the world, so no one knows where their bones are. And in the years to come, I'm guessing about uh, less than two years, that's what I'm guessing, God's going to raise the whole house of Israel from the dead, and then they're just going to walk into Israel. And David, um, so the house of David will be there. That's like his family and stuff. Like maybe his parents, his brothers and sisters, his children and their children and their children. But also, um, 
he's going to give David the key to the house of Israel. Literally, he'll have a key. And so David will have like a key to the house of Israel to make sure they don't fuck it up. Because in the past, David really fucked it up. And that means David needs to not only make sure that he himself doesn't fuck it up, but also um, that he watches the house of Israel. Now, I think David's in the world ready, getting ready to be born again. I think next year he'll be born from like a woman, you know, like a baby. And then a year after that, I think he'll be one year old. That's what I think will happen. Um, but I don't know exactly where he is. Now, in chapter 24, uh, God talks about this. There's a lot of times when things get really bad. And so when God talks about... Um, making the earth empty and making it waste and turning it upside down. He's talking about getting rid of wickedness. A lot of Christians really fear this and they say, God will never do this. It's too much destruction. You know, he said it, but maybe he'll repent or he repented. He'll never do it. What God's talking about here is really bad destruction for the wicked. It's not destruction for the righteous. So if like you're a kind, humble and meek person that trusts God, it'll be better when this happens. So these are the things that you can look forward to. So when God, when you read about God completely and utterly destroying, if you're righteous, you're like, oh, fuck yeah. Then the wicked will be gone. The evil men will be gone. There won't be human traffickers and child molesters and things like that. You're like, that's better. Chapter 24 just talks about that. Chapter 25, um, chapter 24, there's curses, punishment. There's a lot for the wicked, for the worst of men. Uh, chapter 25, it talks about a man who will swallow up death and victory. Who is it? Now, we're reading through this whole thing, and right away God says, um, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name. So who's going to do this? A lot of Christians say this is Jesus. But here they keep talking about God. They say, for God has been his strength. God shall bring down the noise of the strangers. The Lord of hosts will do a bunch of stuff. And he will destroy in his mountain. The Lord of hosts will. That's God. And he will swallow up death and victory. So God will do this. So this is a prophecy that will be fulfilled over and over again. At least three more times probably. At least twice though for sure. So that's another sign from God for his people to trust in the Lord. And when we get to chapter 26, that's written. Trust ye in the Lord forever. And then he says his name. One of his names. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. He has other names. And he has a secret name, and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the, the secret name of God is not known. And in Israel, they don't say it because they're afraid, they're afraid they'll die. And that's true. We only say it at one time. We say it when, um, we, when we need God to save us. So we can say, God save us. God help me. Lord save me. You know, if you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus Christ, God will hear if you say, Jesus save me, and God will save you. You know, if you have faith and stuff. Um, really wicked men, they never do this. They do not say, God save me. Uh, they'd rather burn in hell or die, unfortunately. So God's secret name is the one we'll call upon on the day of the Lord. But before then, you can still call upon his name. We just never say it at any other time. And his secret name is Melchizedek. So make sure you never say that to anyone. That's his, that's his like given name. That's like his first name. That's his like main name. You know, he's the Lord of hosts. He's Je Jehovah. He's Jah. You can say Yahweh, all that kind of stuff, but you can say Lord of Israel, but his name is Melchizedek and that's his secret name. Next in chapter 27, he talks about gathering his people. So he's going to destroy a, um, a serpent, Leviathan. Okay. It's a dragon that's in the sea and there's only one uh, apparently, but it's going to be this big beast that God destroys and then takes it out of the sea and then men and women will eat it for food. 
And then, um, so in chapter uh, 27, he talks about that. Then he starts talking about gathering his people. And it says here in verse 12 that um, he'll make it so they can easily cross over um, this river because he's going to make it so they can do it. He, he calls it beating off from the channel, like beating off the water. And then they can cross over and go to Israel. So God's going to gather his people. And if they're like, oh, we're hungry, then um, they can eat, you know, there's a giant fucking beast named Leviathan just laying there. Like, oh, just take a piece of meat off that thing, put it on a fire, cook it up. You have food right there and water and stuff. There'll be clean drinking water and food. So God provides for his people in strange and bizarre ways. They will seem like an incredible fucking miracle when you see it. They're like, oh, like imagine you're walking with your family. Like, we're going to get hungry soon. But God said, go to Israel. So we're going. And they're like, we're going to get hungry and thirsty. And then they're like, well, there's a big river. I don't know how we're going to cross it. So it sounds like a disaster. And pretty soon you get to the spot where uh, God beat beat the river. And you're like, what the fuck? He beat the river across? It's this weird miracle. And then you like, we're getting really hungry. And the kids are hungry. And you, know, you think, well, if we don't have food soon, they're going to cry. Then you look over and like, oh, God provided a fucking enormous beast enough for everyone going to Israel. And then you get to cut off a big piece of fresh meat and eat. And then you're like... And if you're thinking right now, like, how cool is it? I mean, how many times have you had dragon meat? <laughs> you get to have dragon meat. And your little children will be like, oh, that's cool. We had dragon meat. And all the little boys will be like, fuck yeah, I had dragon meat. <laughs> so God does stuff that's really fun. It's not just cool. It's fun. And it's like a sea dragon too, you know, the dragon in the sea. So chapter 28 gets into a real big problem with the tribe of Levi. And the problem with the tribe of Levi is in the past, Lucifer seems to have been highly successful at getting them to be fucking drunkards. Um, but in any case, they are a bunch of fucking drunks. And so what they need to do is they need to learn. And the problem is in, the, in Israel, the tribe of Levi is the most qualified to learn. And they're also the most qualified to teach, but they can't do it if they're drunks. Here's what I mean. Um, uh, this is about me. This is a prophecy about me. It says, whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? So that's me. And um, I'm going to do this with stammering lips and another tongue. But when I'm actually teaching and not doing a podcast, I'll speak more slowly. Um, and so I'll stammer a bit, but when I'm doing the podcast, I make it so you can pause it and l think about it. Um, cause I have to say a lot. I want to do the whole book of Isaiah in one podcast for the sake of your time, but, um, they'll hear the word of the Lord. Now in the tribe of Levi there, they read the Bible a lot. And so in Israel, in heaven, they, they can learn the word of God and God will raise them from the dead. And so they'll have a lot of this knowledge from heaven and from their previous life in the earth. And so they just don't need to be drunkards again. So when they get to um, Israel, they're gonna learn from me and I'm gonna teach them, but there's more. The rest of the men and women in Israel, they're highly stupid. They don't know jack shit about God or about the um, Bible. And so they've been sitting in heaven listening to the devil and they made a covenant with death and an agreement with hell. So here's the whole thing in chapter 28 in a nutshell. They vowed to Lucifer that they will serve him forever. And if they ever stop serving him for a single moment, they'll die. They'd rather die than stop serving Lucifer. And if they ever stop serving him, they'll burn in hell. This is that's their agreement and their covenant. It's that stupid. Well, God says to them what will happen 
and verse 18, their covenant shall be disannulled. And there's this other thing. They're, they're talking about God's wrath, but they're so stupid that they call his wrath the overflowing scourge. And the reason they did that is because Lucifer wants to confuse them. Uh, God's going to give Lucifer power uh, to, uh, in fact, he already has it, to make a flood with his mouth. That's Revelation 12, and Lucifer's going to do it soon. And Lucifer's probably going to say something like, the scourge of Lucifer is more scourgeful than God's scourge, or something stupid. Because Lucifer just says weird things. So now, let's go to chapter 29. I'll talk more about this. I'll probably do an Isaiah chapter 28 whole podcast. In chapter 29... Um, he's talking more about what will happen to these men and women. They're going to be raised from the dead and they're going to go into Israel and they'll be visited of the Lord of hosts. How? With thunder and earthquake and great noise with storm and tempest and flame of devouring fire. So he's going to threaten the fuck out of them and he's probably going to kill some because they can go there and they can repent. And then when they see all this, they might be fucking terrified because when God, when God comes with a devouring fire, it's not like a, um, firework sparkler or a big lighter or like a matchbook it's like a fucking horrifying fire and loud noises and thunder i mean it's fucking terrifying so he'll probably scare them and then they'll say oh we we should repent yes you should and so he'll um, visit them and then hopefully some of them will repent of this covenant with death and this agreement with help now they're rebellious and they've been rebellious in um, the earth and then they've been rebellious thousands of years in heaven so when they go back into Israel, they're rebellious. And the problem is Gentiles will come when God gathers his people. And so Jews, you might say descendants of Israel, according to your genealogy or whatever. But God's just going to gather men and women. And um, God's not a racist. You're all his children. So a lot of you might be historically descendants of Abraham and not even know it because you're trying to figure out if you're from which tribe you're in. But remember, Abraham was not part of any tribe. That's an important thing to consider. And there's a lot more to being um, God's people than being a descendant genetically. It's obeying God and knowing his word and being righteous and things like that. And so if you're like, I don't know about righteousness, you can learn that when you come to Israel. That's why he wants to gather his people because you're not going to learn it anyplace else in the world. A long time ago, God gave the whole world to Lucifer. And so if you really want to learn stuff that's not worldly, you come to Israel. And that's what worldly means. It's Lucifer stuff. It's ideas that men have. And you come to Israel, it's God's stuff. So... In chapter 30, God talks about the rebellious children and how they're going to want to go to Egypt. Again, chapter 31, same thing. Chapter 32 talks about the future. Now, who is the king? That's going to be King David, hopefully, but it might not last because King David is a sinner. And um, uh, hopefully he doesn't fuck it up. But I think he'll reign as a king for most of his life. Uh but before him, there might be another king. And after him, there might be another king. Because King David's not going to live forever. He's a sinner. He's going to die eventually. So there'll be at least one king. And um, until King David's king, somebody else might sit on his throne and be king in Israel. Um, and that might be the prophecy we read a long time ago, which is a, a famous prophecy. Um, and a lot of uh, Christians think that's about uh, Jesus. But we're talking about Isaiah 9. Um, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So a lot of Jews expect world peace. And it says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, and um, that kind of stuff. But well, let's hear about his government. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with just, justice from henceforth and forever, uh, forever and ever. Okay, now, how is this going to happen? Um
there's no one qualified to do this except for uh, the Messiah probably. So probably the Messiah will do it. And the Messiah, will, that's me, will, I'll probably say I did it. And then God says in his word that he'll do it. He says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And I'll probably say no, I did it. Just to fuck with God. <laughs> act, and I'll act like I did something better than God probably. But it's just a joke. God will do it. And so um, what's going to happen probably is King David's going to be a baby. And I'll probably have to prepare the kingdom. And then teach someone else how to be a temporary king until King David's the, the king on the throne when he's like 20 years old. So, another king uh, might sit on David's throne for like 10 years or so. Because I don't want to do it. I don't want to sit on a throne. It's stupid. Uh, it's Dealing with the people is um, awful. Um, now we got chapter 33. And what will happen is... Um, really 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 important um let's go back to 32 so the, the king shall reign in righteousness now that's going to be king david eventually in my lifetime and then also princes shall rule in judgment so i'm the messiah i've never sinned i'm 6138 years old and i'll never sin and god just gives me different bodies every now and then so i've lived as an angel uh twice depending on how you count and I've lived uh, on other worlds. I've lived in the earth a number of times. I've lived in heaven. I've lived as a spirit in heaven. And so I've done different things. And God just gives me a different body sometimes. And um, so who are the princes that shall rule in judgment? We heard about them already. Um, now, God's going to raise the whole house of Israel from the dead. And that includes, um, you know, a lot of men and women. But... When we want to hear about these princes, um, there's two ways to know about who these princes are. And I'm going to talk about this in future podcasts. So I'll just do it really quickly right now. But when we go to chapter 3, uh, God says, Children are their oppressors and women rule over them. And so there's there's a real big problem because um, they're, they're trying to find someone to rule over them because they realize they can't rule over themselves. And so they're like, women rule over us. And they're like, oh, children, be, you know, you rule over us. And like, oh, it's not working. And like, men, you rule over us, you know. In chapter 3, it says that um, in verse 6, when a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, you have clothing, be our ruler, and let this ruin be under your hand. So when you go through this, there's some mentions of the princes also. So it's, a time will come when the princes rule over everyone. And who are they? They're going to be little babies. So these are men that have already been born into the earth. And I'll tell you their names in a moment. Next year, they'll all be one-year-old. And there's women as well. Um, so it's men and women. Uh, there's four women on the list and about 30 men. It's the 12 apostles and the actual man named Shiloh. You call him Jesus Christ. The man who died on the cross about almost 2,000 years ago. He's going to be a prince in Israel. He's going to tell them what the fuck to do because he knows better than they do. And so does, um, you got to remember, he's one of God's children. So if you're a Jew and you don't want that, it's not going to be as bad as it sounds. You'll actually really like him. Uh, he's kind of annoying. He's really strict. Uh, he likes manly stuff. He's really chaste. He's not going to touch women or anything. I don't even know if he'll ever have a wife. I mean, honestly, that guy's a fucking celibate. <laughs> he is. And he's really intellectual. He likes to think about technology and stuff a lot. I mean, he's really into science and technology. And then there's the 12 apostles plus Paul. Um, Prophet Jeremiah, he'll be a prince. The fathers of the 12 tribes, King Solomon, King Josiah, Sarah, Leah, and Rachel, another woman that you've never met. I call her Cochrane uh, because she, there's a, that's a name that um, God likes um, that she might like as well from someone, something bad happened to somebody. And she likes this name as a devotional name because she cares about that person. 
and then um, also uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So like this is a huge list. And so in 10 years, they'll all be 10 years old because they're born again. They lived in the earth. They lived in heaven. They, they're living again. They're born again. And they'll be in Israel. And so those are the princes that shall rule in judgment. And the king um, will be King David. So that'll be cool. That's chapter 32. And I'll do a whole podcast on that. It'll be a really cool podcast one day. I just got to get through some of these other things. Chapter 33, 34. We're going through a lot of prophecy now that's really interesting. And there's a lot of mentions of exalting God and also the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when uh, wicked and evil men will be ruined. Uh, no, not ruined. The wicked and evil men will die. And then um, by that time, a lot of us that are righteous will have already died. I mean, that, the day of the Lord is not for probably 74 more years, maybe 75 approximately. And so um, let's just say about 75 years. That's going to be in a long time. I'm the Messiah, so I know a lot about this, but I don't know everything. And so, um, you can get this from the, I'll talk about the whole day of the Lord and when it will be later in time prophecy timeline. I'll just do a podcast called when will the day of the Lord happen or something like that. And I'll just show you the Bible verses that tell you exactly when, um, Lucifer wrote a, a false Bible version called the new living translation. And that's where that seven times 70 weeks comes from where they mix up all the timelines and say it's a spiritual kingdom. Um, of God, it'll be a real kingdom. And so, um, all the stuff's going to happen in the future. And so a lot of us that are righteous, will already be dead. I won't be dead, but, um, a lot of you will be. And then, um, then God will raise some of you from the dead, maybe, or you can come back and be born again, like Abraham, the 12 apostles, the fathers of the 12 tribes, Isaac and Jacob, Sarah Lee and Rachel, and another woman that I call Cochran because she doesn't have a name yet. Um, so we go through these next chapters and it's a lot of stuff about, you know, the day of the Lord, stuff that happened in the past. So it's really important to read it, but I'm skipping past it because it's way too heavy right now. So once we get to chapter 40, now we're looking for a man again. Now he's looking for a man that will comfort God's people. God's looking for a man that will comfort his, comfort his people. And then in chapter 41, he says, Israel is his servant. So he's looking for a man to talk to Israel about this. I think. So now chapter 42, God's talking about his servant. And this is a really important thing. What will he do? God will put his spirit upon this servant and he'll bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now, a lot of men and women think this is the Messiah and it might be probably because no one ever does this. What God says here is he's all, he keeps saying in Isaiah, he's looking for a man. He says, I beheld and there was no man, even among them. And they could answer a word and all these other things. He's, he's looking for a man to do stuff. And so a lot of God's children, they go to prison for what? Marijuana possession. That's not a crime. Marijuana, there's no law against it. And so the world will put men in prison for stupid things. And so God's looking for a man to get them out of prison, to literally go and rescue those motherfuckers and get them out and be like, come on, party in Israel and let them out. And so they're free. No one's going to do this. And so, um, until God's servant does it. So maybe he'll have at least one servant who goes and does this and lead them to Israel and hold their hands. And so um, this chapter 42 is incredibly important if you want to understand the age of the Messiah. Chapter 43, again, God's talking about people called by his name and God talks about himself. He is the Lord. He is your Holy One. He is the creator of Israel. He is your King. It's not Lucifer. So we still have this Lucifer debate going all the way up through the book of Isaiah. It's God versus Lucifer. And God's people have to choose which one they get. Um, the one they get is the one they choose. 
Now, in chapter 44, he wants um, Israel and Jacob to hear. So, what does he want them to hear? Maybe by this time, Jacob will separate from Israel because even though his original name was Jacob and God changed it to Israel, Jacob might be so angry at how sinful these people have become that Jacob doesn't want to even be associated with them. So when we start hearing about Jacob and Israel, it might be that Israel is so offensive to Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes, literally the father of the 12 tribes, that he just starts calling himself Jacob again. And it's like, fuck these people. These people are wicked. They're wrong. They made a deal with the devil, a covenant with hell, an agreement with death. He might just start calling himself Jacob and there might be like a separate nation again. That's not at war with Israel, but where they go, where they don't want to be a bunch of weird fuck ups. And so that's what we're going to get. You're going to hear this over and over again, Jacob and Israel, Jacob and Israel. So we're getting farther in the future now as we go through the book of Isaiah. And so we have the devil versus God debate. That's Lucifer versus God. What will God's people choose? God's looking for servants to do these things. And now we're moving forward in time. And now Jacob might just claim to be separate from Israel because he doesn't want to be part of those wicked people because they're so offensive to him. Now, when we get into um, chapter 45, we're learning about God. God makes peace and creates evil. And so someone's going to teach them about this. And so who's going to do this? Probably the Messiah and hopefully someone else because it's too much for one man to do. And then as we go through this, we have chapter 46. A man hopefully will speak these words to someone. Now we're in chapter 47. This is called Virgin Daughter of Babylon. So maybe Babylon will also be so offensive that many men and women will make it like another small town or a big town or a small city. And they'll be like, well, we don't want to go to Israel, but we don't want to stay in Babylon. And so um, God's talking to them. And so I think this is another city that hasn't been made yet. And God talks to them about this. So if somebody comes along and reads to them when this happens, they might say, oh, Israel's better. And they might just go to Israel. Now in chapter 48, we have a house of Jacob. So this is moving along. It looks like Jacob's plans in the future are going to move along. And God's saying, house of Jacob, you're called by the name of Israel. All right. So now he's trying to get Jacob to come back to Israel. And Jacob probably doesn't want to because um, Israel is so offensive to him. So it's not really a lot of rebuke when you get to chapter 48. It's um, explaining to Jacob what will happen. It's not going to be as bad as uh, Jacob might want. Jacob might want Israel to suffer or to perish in fire. Like he might want all these wicked men and women to go, but God's going to say, well, he'll defer his anger. You know, and then Jacob might think he's going to get in trouble from God. And God's saying the same thing to Jacob. Well, I'm... um, He's not going to cut Jacob off from Israel because Jacob might say, well, fuck, you know, I'm a man. I'm the father of the 12 tribes. You know, I didn't expect all this responsibility, this burden. So I wanted to take a break from Israel and I don't want to go back because they all, uh, there's a lot of them in Israel that made a deal with the devil, but he's probably thinking to himself, you know, God made a covenant with me. And if I keep doing this, I might get in trouble. So God had kind of explained it to him really gently that Jacob, this is what's going to happen. So now who listens? Chapter 49 people from far. So 48, it's, a, it's to a man named Jacob. He literally wrote a whole chapter of the Bible to write to a man named Jacob. In chapter 49, now it's people that are far away. And they might be saying, did God forget us? No. Chapter 50, now he's talking to Israel. He's saying to the whole nation of Israel, all the people, did I divorce you? No. Were you rebellious? Yes. 
Now, after this, there might be a consumption where God burns a lot of them with fire, but they need to hear this because a lot of them choose to burn. Remember, they made an agreement with hell. So he's like, if you want to burn, you're going to get it. Because Israel, they often volunteer to do stupid things. They're like, oh, we accept our punishment. And I'm like, why don't you, instead of accepting your punishment, why don't you repent of your sin? They're like, they're like, we will not repent. (laughs) (coughs) Chapter 51, uh, we're talking about people who um, are interested in righteousness. Now I say interested, and that's an important word for me because God doesn't say that ye that follow after righteousness. And so in Israel, they'll kind of know what this means. Um, chapter 52, and we're talking about people coming to Zion. Now, Zion is a place that can only exist when David is there. That's really important to know. And it's typically after really bad things happen. So there, there's a time in the future where there will be something called Lamentations. I'll talk about that. It's happened in the past. It will happen again. And when I do the book of Lamentations, I'll kind of explain it's a double prophecy, maybe a triple prophecy. And so what will happen? God's servant will sprinkle many nations. And so what does that mean? He'll say a little bit of words and then they'll consider things that they um, have never heard. So that's kind of a cool thing. That's like a wise sounding word. And then we're like, okay, let's hear about this servant. Chapter 53 is a mentally retarded passage. A lot of Christians really like this. They're like, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. By his stripes we are healed. Now later I'll talk about this, how mentally retarded I think this is. But... um, Later, God talks about a promise. Now, a lot of you are trying to figure out if this is about Jesus or not. And so I'll talk about that, uh, why it could be and why not. So you can have fun, you know, having a uh, theological, philosophical uh, conversation about it. Chapter 54 is a, is one of God's promises. And it's one of God's strangest promises he, um, he ever made. And uh, chapter 55, now we're talking about um, something that's really interesting. God says, ho, everyone that thirsteth. Now, typically, God doesn't say ho. He might say um, who. In the previous chapter, he said sing, S-I-N-G, like singing your song. Before, he says awake. God doesn't often say ho. In 48, he says hear. Now, he says ho. Why does he do that? That'll be really important. Let's consider that for later when I do an exposition on chapter 55. I might tell you. He says ho, everyone that thirsteth. He doesn't even say thirsteth for what. So, now we're getting to a point in the book of Isaiah where... um, it's thirst. You just you have to know it's you thirst after righteousness and spiritual things. You just have to know that. So it's hard to understand anything after this point, unless you um, really understand the uh, previous parts in Isaiah. So we kind of got to read it. So he's telling people to come and listen and don't waste their money on things that aren't important. Now we're getting to some really practical wisdom. Literally in verse 2, he's like, don't waste your money on things that aren't important. Let's consider what's important. Righteousness, everlasting life. Now, 56 is funny because we're going to go into 57 and it's going to be retarded. (laughs) I'm sorry, it is. So he's talking about um, bringing people to his holy mountain. And it's really cool. And he, has, he makes a promise to, to eunuchs, the men that were eunuchs in the past. I think what will happen is they'll become really angry about this, especially if it happens again. Now, I'm trying to do, set plans in, in place so that um, men like Daniel, who will live in Israel again, the prophet Daniel, so they're never taken to Babylon again and made to be eunuchs. God didn't do this. Wicked men in Babylon did it. But they might start to become really angry when they realize just how wrong it was and how much they lost. So God makes a promise to them in chapter 56. And hopefully it's enough for them because that's what they get. Now, in chapter 57, um, 
there's a man named John Huxton. Now, there's some really famous men uh, in the heaven. Now, one of them is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a man. He is a spirit, but you can call him ghost. And it's the same word. It's an interchangeable word. Like, um, I can say you're a human being, or if you're male, I can say you're a man. Those are interchangeable words. If you're female, I'd say you're a woman. Human being, woman, human being, man. Those are interchangeable words. But male and female are not interchangeable, all right? So the Holy Ghost is a ghost, and he's famous. He has a brother named John Huxton. And so John Huxton pretends to be Jesus Christ, and uh, he's supposed to do all this stuff in 57, starting at verse 15, and he doesn't. Everyone thinks it's about Jesus Christ. It's about John Huxton, and he's a derelict in his duties. And now as we go through the rest of this, these are all things that need to be done. God's going to do it. Chapter 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66. God's going to do it because no one else is going to. And he's looking for a servant to do these things. John Huxton is supposed to get it together and start to obey God, and he probably won't. So chapter 58 is instructions for John to yell at them if you have to. Do anything you can to tell them their transgression. John Huxton is like the Holy Ghost. They both know the word of God perfectly. Uh, once we get to chapter 59, again, there's some more rebuke for these dumb idiots. There's spirits in heaven and men in the earth and men in the heavens. So by the time we're this far in the future, John might even be allowed and angels to appear before men in the flesh and rebuke them with God's word. But not to come around and just fucking hang out and not to come to the earth and speak the devil's words. They can speak God's words or nothing. So God's probably giving them an option to do this in the future. And then, you know, chapter 59, it's more rebuke. God starts to make some far distant uh, promises. In chapter 60, a lot of very far distant promises. So in all these next chapters, these are extremely far distant future promises. And finally, uh, we get to chapter 65. We're almost done. Men that should seek God don't. And men that have never heard of him, they're like, oh, there's a God. Suddenly they hear of God and then they seek God. And God's like, look, Israel, foreigners seek me. Why don't you? And so this is a far distant future prophecy and something that might go on for a long time. And finally, in chapter 66, he's talking about a new heaven and a new earth. And that's going to happen in more than 6,000 years. So you can imagine what this will be like. Men and women will just bitch and moan and complain and be like, where is it? Why don't we see it? And God's like, I'll do it. And they're like, well, why is it taking so long? And God's like, I'll do it when I choose. And they're like, well, if you don't do it right now, we don't believe you. And God's like, shut up. Stop whining. I'll make a new heaven and a new earth little children and they're like boo hoo we want to see it now and uh then god is like fine i'll make a new heavens and a new earth and um men and women will come to worship him from the whole world the whole earth and all the wicked will die but um their flesh will just sit there and rot so they'll be like an everlasting memorial of retarded stupidity Uh, so it'll be like a reminder, don't be like wicked men, but instead be righteous and have everlasting life. Hopefully that's how, what it takes, righteousness or something. So that's it. That's the whole book of Isaiah in a nutshell. So if we're going to consider this whole, this whole book, if we were going to speak to someone who'd never, ever heard about God's word or anything, what would we say about the book of Isaiah? It's a great book 
to find names of God, the Holy One of Israel, whose name is worthy to be praised, whose name is holy. So it's a great place to find out names of God. Uh, there's a lot of those written in here. He's the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. So we can find those cool sounding names in the book of Isaiah. What if someone knows the Bible um, fairly well, but they don't know the book of Isaiah that great? What is this? Well, it's future prophecies, and a lot of Christians say it's about Jesus Christ, who is also called Shiloh. More Christians need to start saying the name Shiloh uh, if they're actually going to um, care about God's word and represent. But what about someone who um, <coughs> isn't a Christian, they're a Jew, and they've mostly heard the rabbi's words, but not the, um, the prophet's words? Well, the book of Isaiah is an excellent book to learn what happened in heaven after they died they continued to fuck it up they made an agreement with hell a covenant with death and now all the angels and spirits in heaven need to be rebuked and you can read about that in chapter one verse two and then you might say well what about someone who knows the words of the rabbis the words of the christians and the bible really well but they're not a bible scholar they're not a preacher they're just someone that really likes god's word well for that person we could say that the book of isaiah is a, a book where we can study the poetic distribution of god's uh, knowledge and so we can read any chapter we start in the middle then we read up and down and we compare the verses it's a verse comparison book because it's very poetic and we can have wise uh, wisdom we can find vast and tremendous knowledge uh, by doing this and find um, really profound meanings of these words uh, what about someone who's a um, Bible scholar or someone who went to Bible college for a long time and they consider themselves a Bible scholar even if they're just a pastor and so they have a preaching degree or something uh, but someone who's really a scholar and they really want to know the book of Isaiah really well, well, they can compare it to the Isaiah scroll found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the words are different for an important reason. The Dead Sea Scrolls give them simple reminders about uh, meaning of the, the passages in the book of Isaiah. So they can look at the differences. It's not a discrepancy, it's a difference. And that'll be an exposition on how to understand or how to explain that verse. So for the rest of us, what do we do? Well, when we read the book of Isaiah, we can just remember God's future promises that God will gather his people and God's people will be in Israel in the future.